Welcome to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation, hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. There are so many challenges involved in the college process, including choosing the right college, planning a payment strategy, creating a high school plan, and much more. The team of experts from College Coach are here to help you find some, if not all, of the answers you need. Now, here is your host, Elizabeth Heaton. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. It is May 2nd. Woohoo to all of those seniors out there who finally deposited. I am not sure how many of you got right down to the wire and making your choice, um, but congratulations either way, whether you knew back in December or you literally just submitted your deposit yesterday. If you follow us on Facebook, uh, you might have seen we have a contest going right now. Let us know where you're headed next year. Um, maybe you could include a great photo of yourself in some of your new college gear. Uh, we'd love to hear from our listeners. We want to know where you end up. And um, so if you're interested, check us out on Facebook. Um, later in the show, actually, we're going to be covering some next steps for all of you who have just submitted your deposits. Um, we're also going to try and we're going to ask and try to answer the questions, do colleges care if you are kind? Um, It's going to be the first in our Kindness Matters series, and it's kind of an idea that was sparked a little bit by the Turning the Tide movement that some of you may have heard about, but also just in our general everyday interactions with students and families and uh, just reminding people that kindness does matter and actually can have an impact. Um, So we're going to talk a little bit about the role it can play in the admissions process. But first, uh, I would think and guess and know from my conversations with students and families that there are many students who would consider themselves sort of not rich, um, and they're going to be heading to campuses that could very well be filled with lots of students who are, or certainly who are have more resources. Uh, and today's first guest encountered this challenge at the University of Michigan, and she actually created a guide to help other not rich students survive and thrive at the university. And we are really excited to welcome her today. Her name's Lauren Shandeville, and uh, perhaps her advice will be useful to you. Welcome, Lauren. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. And um, I we read about you in um, some of the media that was covering this guide that you created. But for our listeners' sake, um, can you tell us a little bit about um, the guide to being not rich and what it is and how it came to be? Right. So back in January 2018, um, our student government at the University of Michigan put out an affordability guide Um That was about 87 pages, and there was some useful information in there, but the first 10 pages or so were devoted to budgeting, and a lot of the advice was very tone-deaf, and a lot of low-income students were frustrated with some of the advice that they gave. So, for example, um, there was, you know, suggestions to fire your maid or, um, (gasps) you know, stop using a laundry service, um, and... If you're a low-income student, you know that you're not using those things. And so um, my response was to crowdsource um, my own guide on Google Documents. Uh, It's called Being Not Rich at UM. And to my surprise, um, not only did so many people contribute, um, but it was also picked up by other universities and national media. So it's just been an incredible journey um, sort of spreading the word about, you know, low-income students being on very wealthy campuses and what our experience is. 
Yeah, and this particularly resonated with me because I was a scholarship student. I actually was a scholarship student for high school, and then I was a scholarship student in college. And um, while certainly I had some resources, I didn't have that much. And and I don't even remember there being any type of a guide to what do you do if you – you know, being just, I wish there was something like this when I was in college is I guess what I'm trying to say when I think about some of the days where I had a dollar and that was enough to buy two bagels in the morning, one that I would eat on the way to a class and one that I would have for lunch and um, that it might've been helpful to, to have some additional information on, um, on some of the things that would have been useful to a student who didn't have the resources of some of my friends who, you know, I remember a friend who was getting an allowance of close to a thousand dollars a month. That was her rent was covered. That was just spending money. Um, and that was obviously a significant difference for me. So curious about, you know, kind of the types of tips that you offered um, and, um, you know, any more on the the feedback that you got from fellow students. Um, I'm imagining that people found this really useful, obviously, because it became a thing. Yeah. Um, so for content-wise, um, there's a lot of basic stuff like employment, you know, on-campus versus off-campus jobs, um, sort of navigating the financial aid process, you know, what does it mean if you have a loan versus a grant versus a scholarship. Um, mm-hmm. There's a lot about housing and food. Um, but then there's also some stuff that people don't really consider as part of the first-generation or low-income student experience. Um, so we have, you know, some mentorship advice. Um, we have a list of professors who are first-gens themselves or grew up low-income or are very, like, sympathetic allies. Um, we have some advice on like how to tell your friends that you can't afford to go out with them. Um, we have advice on just making friends in general on a wealthy campus. Um, so the sort of non-financial aspects of being a low-income student, we also were very attentive to. Um, and then in terms of other students' reactions, um, people have found it very useful and it's, it's been really great um, to, to hear from people who have said, like, I read through the whole thing um, because I can't even say that. So mm-hmm. it's, it's great. Um, I think there was a law professor. One of my friends is a law student and the first day of class her professor was going through the syllabus and he um, put up a link to the guide, which it's just, it's really cool to see people using it and to see people benefiting from it. And not only, you know, taking the advice and saving money, but also, like, finding a community um, on that forum and, like, knowing that they're not alone in their experiences. It's, it's been very great. Yeah, because I do think that's one of the biggest challenges. And we did a segment a few months ago on the struggles that we have some people on staff who are first gen and the struggles that those students can face that they are sort of those hidden things. I I love the stuff that you're talking about with how to find a mentor and, hey, by the way, here are some people who had your same experience. And in addition to meeting people who have your current experience, but the idea of professors who were where you were now back in the day, I think is really so important because one of the challenges um, that I know some first-gen students face is just 
you know, if your parents have gone to college, they know more what to expect. They can set you up to at least understand what's going to be coming. You may not have a lot of money, but you have that um, that insight from someone who you're very close to, whereas a lot of first-gen students, be, by the very nature of being first-gen, don't have that at all, and, and their families don't always understand what they're necessarily going through, and you could, I could imagine that you would feel very alone in that that situation. Oh, absolutely. It's the, the hidden curriculum that people talk about. And, you know, we, we talk about food and housing and security, which is very, very important. And we talk about tuition and being able to afford college. But a lot of it, I would say like a substantial um, bit of it is, you know, that sense of belonging and like feeling like you can navigate being at college um, and like know what to do and and know how to ask for help. And that's a huge thing for low-income and first-generation college students. Right, because you can be told as many times uh, until someone's blue in the face when you're 18 that this is going to be the thing that's going to help you with social mobility, with getting, you know, with creating a life for yourself. But when you're 18, honestly, when you're 48 sometimes, really what you ask yourself is, am I happy? And how many students are able to really persist in situations where they're deeply unhappy or don't feel like they belong? Uh, It makes it so much harder, which is one of the big challenges that colleges have is retaining those students. They're, They're eager to welcome them to campus. But then how do you help them feel like they belong when they get there? And what I particularly love about this is something probably colleges should have realized a long time ago, and maybe they did and just found it difficult to tap into, but it's the students going through it who are really the um, the ones to tell you how to help those kids. Um, and you can have as many policies in place or as many well-meaning guides but to your point, could you, would you really tell somebody, you know, don't use the laundry service if they were trying to cobble together the quarters they need just to use the one washing machine in their, di- in their dorm? Like, that's just, that's just, that's pretty tone deaf. I would have to agree with you there. Right. Yeah, exactly. And. And so, I mean, obviously, kudos to you for for taking this on and then to making it a shared doc that that other people could add to. Um, If you what advice would you give to students who maybe want to create similar guides at their colleges, whether they're there right now or they're heading there in the uh, in the fall? Yeah, so we um, actually have a document that's linked in the original guide. that teaches students who maybe want to create their own guides how to do it themselves. Um, it's called Being Not Rich DIY, um, conveniently. Um, and <laughs> I love essentially, it. Essentially, <laughs> what is contained in there is like, um, you know, the process of creating an outline, the process of recruiting people to do the initial stages of editing and, and building out content. Um, and then we also talk about, you know, once you feel like you have enough um, content to move forward, how do you get the word out to the rest of the student body? So we have some advice about talking to, you know, your school newspaper or other forms of media um, or posting on social media, which is how, um, like, my guide in particular took off was um, through Facebook and, and social media. So um, a lot of how to build out that content, but also, like, when you're working with the crowdsource document, the most important thing is making sure that people are contributing and you're getting content and that content is diverse and coming from different perspectives. So there's a lot of advice on doing that. 
Excellent. So I love that. So it's you. They can access it right from the um, being not rich at UM guide. Is there a URL that you could share with us? Absolutely. I will. I will send it to you so that everyone can access the guide. Perfect. Well, what we'll do is we'll post that on Facebook and we do a recap of our shows and we'll make sure we include that. So to all of our listeners, stay tuned. We'll have that information for you. Um, In practical terms, what advice do you have for students who are in a similar situation of, you know, maybe they're going to go to a school where they don't have a guide. Maybe they have enough on their plate. They're not going to be involved in creating a guide. But um, any any advice that you would have as they get ready to head off to college where they very likely will be surrounded by students who do have a lot of money? Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking back to my own college experience. And as I'm about to graduate, I've been doing a lot of reflection. Um, I remember the first year or two of undergrad where, you know, it's really easy to feel like you don't belong on a wealthy campus. Um, It's easy to feel intimidated and sort of alienated from your peers. Um, I think low-income students have worked so hard to get to where they are. And even in the times where it feels like the campus wasn't built for them or it feels like they can't really relate to their peers, like I I want the students to reflect on how much they've overcome to get there. And a lot of the times they're they're on these campuses with students who have been told from day one, you know, you're going to go to college or you're going to go to this college um, Mm -hmm. and here's how you're going to do it. Um, And low-income students have a lot of resolve and a lot of determination and grit and just, you know, the odds are stacked against us in a lot of ways. And so for you to have overcome that and ended up at the same place as so many of these other students who have sort of had the path paved for them um, is incredible. And you should be very proud of that. Um, it's not easy to to be there and to experience that and to feel that way. But always remember how hard you worked. Yeah, and, and it may mean that you have to work hard for the next few years as well, right? But it is, it's such an incredible accomplishment and as much as you can embrace it. And ideally, um, I hope that every college will have this guide to being not rich because I do think that the most exciting part of it all was finding what you described about finding a community of students who are in the same place because it can be hidden. And, um, and I would guess that finding some people who share your experiences is the thing that helps you to persevere and stick with it because that's kind of what we all want, right? We all want to belong. And, and if you have a couple of people around you who get it, then, um, I can only imagine that that would make at least things at least a little bit easier. Oh, it is, it is the most empowering thing. And if there are administrators listening, um, I think building, communities and and creating space for low-income students to find each other is extremely important. So I cannot emphasize that enough. Well, thank you for creating one, at least at Michigan, which not only a place with a lot of wealthy students, but also really big. Um, so I, yeah. I think I know that we send, we talk to students who are heading off to Michigan and even those who have had a path paved for them can sometimes struggle in that size of, an, of a university. So I can imagine that that is made even more challenging by being in that situation of feeling even more alone or like you don't belong. So kudos to you and all of the people who contributed to that guide for making it feel a little smaller anyway. Thank you. 
Lauren, thank you so much for joining us today and congratulations on your graduation, which I know is happening here in a couple days. And good luck to you as you, you head out into the world. You're in the world now, but head out past the college <laughs> world, I guess. <laughs> the real world. Yes. Thank the you real so much world. for having me. Absolutely. Uh, All right. We are going to go to take a short break. And when we get back, we're going to be talking about whether or not colleges care if you are kind. Uh, And hopefully the answer won't surprise you. But we'll be back in a minute. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, how to prepare for standardized tests, what options are available to pay for college, and most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application. We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters, the one in the envelope that says yes. Visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. You are listening to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everybody. Very excited that you're joining us today. Um, In our previous segment, we were talking about um, finding a community of like-minded students uh, and feeling like you belong on a college campus. And I think that's kind of a perfect segue into our next segment, which is the first in a series that we're doing around the question of, um, or not the question, really, but about the statement that kindness matters. And we're starting off with the topic that is probably most relevant to uh, this podcast in general, and that is the idea or the question of whether kindness matters in the admissions process. And I'm uh, happy to welcome my colleague, Zaragoza Guerra, who's a former admissions officer at both MIT and Caltech, uh, to the show to talk through this with us. Hi, Zaragoza. Hi, Beth. Well, welcome to the show today. And I, I think um, let's start with the big first question, and that is, you know, the sort of overarching question. Um, do colleges mm-hmm. care um, whether or not a student is kind when they are going through their admissions process? You know, I oftentimes 
you know, as we talk about admissions and as we hear the public talk about admissions, sometimes a lot of emphasis gets placed on, you know, the overall merit of a student. And, and when people talk about merit, sometimes they're inferring, hey, we're, we're mostly looking at grades and SAT scores and whether a student can cut it academically, right? Mm-hmm. And I think there are other aspects to an admissions process where kindness plays a strong role. And, you know, as we hear about admissions processes, talking about personal qualities of a student and rating a student's personal qualities, you know, oftentimes embedded within that is uh, kindness and, and mm-hmm. looking for that and, and trying to see how a student is impacting the world. And I, I would oftentimes see it in, in the admissions process as I was reviewing applications. It's, it's a feeling you get that, oh, my goodness, here is someone who is going to be a, a wonderful force on our campus or who's going to be an incredible force within our community or who's going to change the world for the better. And sometimes there are colleges and universities that explicitly let the world know this is what we stand for. This is what we hope to do in the world. And we want to find students who are going to help us accomplish that. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes, when they're rating students on personal qualities or uh, what they're bringing to the school in a personal way, uh, they're trying to find that kind of student who's going to help them uh, do good in the world, you know, as part of their overall mission, I would say. So yeah, it's not necessarily you, about just you, taking classes. It's about, hey, having an impact with what you've learned. Right. I, you, had, you had shared with me a great um, thing that you would hear when you were doing admissions at MIT in the committee room, which was kind of, yeah, this person is smart, but how are they going to use the education that we hope to give them to impact the world for the better? And I think that's a really good point, right? It is it, Certainly, it's important that students display the right accomplishments for the schools to which they are applying. But there, as you note, there's more to it than that. And and that question in the committee room is a great example of, we, we want people are going to use this for good, not for evil, right? We want to train future superheroes, not future supervillains. Exactly. And that matters. You know, I could, it, it does, you know, it, it, you know, when I think about, you know, oftentimes when we'd go into committee, sometimes we'd remind ourselves about our school's overall mission. And, you know, in particular for MIT, I'm using this as an example, you know, we always talk about minds and hands and, and using the creative energy that you've got in your mind and bringing it to fruition through your hands. So building things, creating things, and, and the whole purpose of an MIT, and a lot of schools like it are to build things that are going to have a positive impact on the world. You know, how do we make the world better through our minds and our hands? Mm-hmm. And as we're looking at students, you know, that mind part was just half the equation. The other was how do they express that intelligence in a positive way? You know, how are they being a positive force? And sometimes you would come across a student and you'd wonder, oh, my goodness, they're, they're so... Uh, intelligent, they've, they've got, uh, you know, they grasp all of these concepts, but do they grasp some of these 
other concepts uh, in a more personal way. You know, how are they going to uh, really get what we have to offer? Right. And and one of the things that we would talk about around the committee room when I was doing admissions is, you know, what kind of a roommate is this person going to be? What is this someone Mm -hmm. that you would enjoy engaging with in the classroom? Are they going to be wielding that intelligence like a, you know, swing it like an axe? Or are they going to be offering Mm -hmm. it up as a counterpoint and an interesting way to to broaden the things that maybe are being discussed in class, you know, are they wielding it with kindness or is it more of a, I'm smarter than everybody around me and therefore, you know, get out of my way because I know more than you do. Um, there, are there some examples you can think of in, in applications where, you know, you might see colleges looking for evidence of kindness? Great question. I- I'd say there are oftentimes going to be examples in the essay prompts themselves. Um, there are many times when a college or university is not so subtly letting uh, the public know this is what we're looking for. You brought up that great example of the roommate question. You know, would this mm-hmm. person be a good roommate <laughs> to someone? Well, you know, Stanford asks that question rather explicitly. They ask students to write a letter to their roommate. Mm-hmm. And you know, they're looking for, you know, someone who's going to be a good roommate, someone who's going to be a good community uh, member, someone who's going to contribute academically um, and socially to, to their campus. Um, Dartmouth um, asks students to, uh, uh, you know, seek out a peer recommendation. You know, it's not mm-hmm. just from your teachers, but, you know, from your friends. You know, what do they have to say about what you're bringing to the table on a social level? Uh, you know, how are you uh, making your local community just that much better, you know, with your presence? And so uh, there are going to be plenty of places that will explicitly ask that. And then there might be perhaps some Catholic universities uh, that would ask uh, that question a a little bit more explicitly. Uh, You know, they might ask, hey, how are you uh, contributing to our our, our particular ethos in in terms of our desire to change the world for the better? Mm -hmm. Um, You know, whether that is with respect to volunteering and so forth. So look for those clues within the essay prompts, because oftentimes some schools are going to articulate their particular mission, their particular goals within the prompt itself. Right. And uh, I think, you know, one on the flip side of that, something that I will sometimes see in a main essay that a student is writing is, um, or, or even in supplemental pieces, kind of raising yourself up by putting others down. And that's something I always, always flag and very quickly say. There is, it's totally unnecessary to raise, to raise yourself up by putting others down. That is not going to appeal to anybody. And you don't want that in your writing in any way, shape, or form, regardless of whether the question is getting at kindness or not. There are ways in which sometimes students can express kindness or the lack thereof um, unintentionally. Right. And, mm-hmm. and, um, and actually that brings me to something else, which is, um, a point that you made, which is, you know, it's not just about your talent, but how you share that talent with others. And you had some good examples of maybe, um, uh, some students you've worked with 
that that kindness kind of came out and could be considered something that might set them apart. And, and I was hoping you could share maybe a couple of those examples with our listeners. Sure. I remember uh, working with a student who loved basketball. Now, he wasn't necessarily so talented in basketball that he would have been recruited, even, let's say, even for a D3 school. Um, but he loved it. And he was on his varsity team at school, and he was in a club sport, and he uh, coached a team, okay, mm-hmm. um, in, at, for the Boys and Girls Club. So here was someone who you know, had this joy, who had this love of something, and, and, and while you couldn't quite say, oh my goodness, he's going to be a force on our basketball team, you could tell that because he was able to express that joy and share it with others and make the world a better place with his love of basketball, mm-hmm. that he was going to kind of contribute that same joy and that same love within his particular community. And I, I kind of, every time I would read his essays or, or, or read uh, his, his application as I was working with him, I would come away with a sense that, man, this is such a neat human being. This is someone who, who's got a lot of love for what he wants to do, and, and he expresses it in action. And you can just see that. And so while, as I said, you couldn't necessarily peg basketball as a talent for him. Mm-hmm. He, he used it in a way um, that showcased his personality. Mm-hmm. And when we think about colleges and universities giving ratings to students, whether that be for academics, whether that be for their extracurriculars or their talents, we also have to think, yeah, they're also rating you for your personal qualities. And I think he was probably more than likely able to move the needle uh, with that particular rating when right, you look back. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And and I do think that um, in general, too, a, a student who's truly displaying kindness in their lives, that can really permeate other areas of the application. And a great one um, is in recommendation letters. And I still mm-hmm. remember a student whose application I read many years ago, um, and I think it was probably in my first year when I was at Penn, and um, the student was a top athlete and uh, uh, a guy, uh, and, you know, sometimes that can lend itself, which is not fair either, right, but to thinking like, oh, big man on campus, and, you know, maybe has a lot of admirers, but, you know, isn't going out of his way for others. And yet everything in the recommendation letters, no one talked about his talent as an athlete. They talked about things like they saw him every day sitting at lunch with um, a boy who didn't have a lot of friends and how he went out of his way to um, be kind to that student because it made him feel badly just to see him all alone all the time at lunch. So Basically, that became his lunch companion, and I never forgot it, and I talked about it in committee, and I advocated for this kid because I just thought, man, this is, we need that on this campus. I, I just fell in love um, with, the, with that idea, and I was just curious um, about the kinds of things that you might have seen, um, examples that would show up in recommendation letters of that type of kindness. Oh, absolutely, and, and it's it's funny because 
you know, as you were describing that, it is kind of like falling in love with a candidate, mm-hmm. right? You, mm-hmm. you discover something about them, uh, you know, that someone else notices and mentions. Mm-hmm. And uh, they're mentioning it for a reason. And if you've got a teacher who, who, who notes that and, and who can tell you, you know, there have been plenty of times when I've done the exact same thing where I've advocated for someone um, in committee just because of, of the love <laughs> either uh, have for the, for the person who you've never even met, but, you know, other people have noticed. Okay, and 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 as I, as you said, if a teacher notices this, and and it could be anything. I I've read recommendation letters where the teacher said, "Oh my goodness, you should see this this kid with their siblings. Their siblings also come to school here, and their younger siblings, and and the care and the love that they have, and they demonstrate for even for their siblings, um, or." For uh, you know, friends on campus, or you know, they've gotten involved in the Special Olympics, and you should just see how they interact uh, with everyone on their team. You know, those those hints um, that are noted, uh, you know, become a notation in my on my reader card, or you, they they would become a notation on my reader card. And yes, I would oftentimes even put down on my reader card. When it comes to this, when you get this particular student in committee, give me a holler. I want to be in them on that discussion <laughs> because right. you, you you just want to um, advocate for them just because of all the beauty that you see that they've been able to express and, and put out there into the world. And and I think one really important point I want to make here, that student that I, that I described who I fell in love with, there was not one mention in any part of his application in his words about this. He just, that had no, he wasn't writing about it. It didn't make its way into a shorter answer, nothing. This was something that someone had observed. So, and that quite honestly was one of the ways in which it, it, why it resonated the most because he wasn't telling me that he was kind. It was showing up because others noticed that he was. And I think that is what you're talking about as well. It's being noticed by someone else. So it's tough to create this. Um, if you are naturally that kind of a person, I think that's great. I, I think of another example of a student who um, the college, the guidance counselor wrote about how this student knew everybody's name from the um, janitor to the um the people who worked in the office, the, the administrative support staff, to um, just, you know, kids he would see. And so this guidance counselor would, if she mentioned the student's name, everyone would say, oh, you know, they just all knew him and really liked him because he went out of his way to just be nice, to be kind. So, um, and that can really resonate as well. Um, any any fine, final words you have on the whole question of whether or not, I think we've established that kindness does matter um, and that, uh, you know, the, the more you can go out of your way to be kind, um, the better. I think the better for the whole world, right? Um, but just any final thoughts from you on, on this question? I, I think oftentimes we think that sometimes this is something innate or something that comes natural to, to people. And, and quite honestly, it does. You know, I oftentimes look at some people and I wonder, 
and I see the way they interact with us, and I think, wow, you, you're so good at that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so good yes, at, totally. Uh, interacting with others and, and, and making the world a better place. And, 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 you know, oftentimes it puts me to shame, or I feel, oh, my goodness, I wish I could be like that. But here's the thing. I think it's something that can be practiced and that people can get better at. And when you're thinking about, uh, you know, anything within a, an admissions uh, application, any particular talent or any particular academic course of study that you're developing and you're working on and you're trying to get better at, just remember, kindness can be one of those things, too. Um, it's not something that, uh, you know, all of a sudden, uh, you know, comes about. Uh, it, it's something that we all work on. Uh, on a day-to-day basis, uh, remembering people's names, um, you know, inviting them over to sit with you at lunch. Uh, those things we can work on, and mm-hmm. and we can get better on it. And, you know, it's not just going to impact a college application. It's going to impact our professional lives down the road. So it's worth, worth learning and practicing. Uh, and those are perfect words to close on and um, a good reminder to me that these are things that I can also incorporate into my life when I'm trying to be a good example for my own son, who is a freshman in high school. Um, Zaragoza, thanks so much for joining us today. Um, we are going to go to a quick break. And then when we come back, you have deposited. Woohoo! You are one step closer to enrolling in college. Uh, and we want to talk a little bit about now what? So don't go away. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, how to prepare for standardized tests, what options are available to pay for college, and most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application. We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters, the one in the envelope that says yes. Visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. You are listening to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. All right. Welcome back, everybody. May 1st, the big day to finalize your deposit. That was yesterday, and all deposits should be in. 
Uh, and you might be sitting there sort of saying, oh, my goodness, what do I do now? Um, I've been so focused on the college application process and now getting my responses and figuring out where I'm going to go. And now I know where I'm going to go and I almost feel empty inside. What do I do now? Um, And so I am happy to welcome my colleague and former Barnard College admissions officer, Kara Courtois, to the show to talk to us about some thoughts on that. Hi, Kara. Hey, Beth. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Well, thank you for joining me. It's always great to have you as a guest on the show. Um, I did want to let our listeners know that we're actually going to be doing a big transition to college segment. Uh, It's going to air on May 30th, and that's going to be focused more around sort of um, all the things you're going to be doing in the run up to actually leaving for college, and we're going to be ha- we're going to have an admissions perspective and a finance perspective on that one. Um, so today, this is really more about kind of um, wrapping up your senior year. So, from a practical perspective, what are some thoughts that you have, Kara, on what people, uh, students, and parents can be thinking about and doing right now? Um, well, practically speaking, is you know really just settling into senior year. I think a lot of students, some were holding their breath, you know, while they were (laughs) figuring out this whole admissions um, process. And so, um, and it's, uh, this is definitely, especially when I was back when I was teaching high school, you know, this is when senioritis really settles in and, um, you know, and I always said I was a perfect example of, you know, best intentions, that as soon as you submit that deposit, it's like this rigor mortis settles in and you bring home a full backpack like you always did and it just sits there, (laughs) you know. So, you know, being kind and, you know, giving yourself some grace in that moment or your children, if you're a parent listening to this, recognizing, you know, they'll they'll snap back to it. But at the same time, you know, it's, it's just trying to keep up some momentum, especially perhaps for those AP exams that many students will have in the next couple of weeks. So, you know, trying to end on a positive note, especially when you've worked so hard. Um, I often, you know, will get panicked emails from students of, you know, I I didn't do as well as I normally do. And I got a B plus this quarter when I normally have a solid A or, you know, and to us, that doesn't sound bad at all, but some parents are really upset about it. And, um, Mm -hmm. And so, you know, granting some perspective on that, you know, that if a student, as long as they haven't gone completely off the rails, um, that's always important to try to try to do their best, of course, but just knowing that the last quarter is not usually going to be their best grades. Right. I think that's true. And, and I, I just would put a plug in for not adding to your stress levels by really going off the rails, because then um, you've now turned down all the other schools you deposited at one. Mm-hmm. And if you do badly enough, it is possible that your acceptance gets rescinded. And then you have to do this all over again. And man, that's a nightmare. So if nothing yeah. else spurs you to open up the, the, uh, the backpack, please let that be the, the thing that keeps you going. Um, yeah, I actually encourage students sometimes that in part of the senior is that some students are getting really social, especially those who might have been literally nose to the books and not mm-hmm. really socializing with their classmates as much, that sometimes they can turn that senioritis into, huh, maybe I can learn how to do group study. You know, it's habits that will actually be super helpful in college and at the same time be, you know, socializing or, you know, studying over Skype as opposed to just solitary study that they might, 
you know, be able to turn it what, you know, could turn into a, a lower grade, <laughs> you know, because mm-hmm. they're not doing the work at all, into at least doing it, you know, with some friends overall, you know, and, and trying to wrap up the year in a positive way and be able to maybe make some friends along the way. Yeah, absolutely. And um, in terms of just some other quick nuts and bolts stuff, um, when the year is finished, um, you know, final grades, AP scores, any advice on, on that front? Yeah, I mean, always checking with a guidance counselor is a good idea to make sure that final grades are submitted to the school where they're matriculating. And if they are a student who is hoping to get in off a wait list or at least has let a waitlisted, uh, a college that waitlisted them know they'd like to remain on the waiting list, they want to make sure to send final grades there as well. So it's always helpful to check in with a guidance counselor that that's still, you know, a good thing to have on their checklist um, to make sure that final transcript goes out. And then, you know, and then it's probably shifting gears more to making sure they're, you know, crossing their I's and dotting their T's on some of the paperwork and housing information for the college where they'll, you know, potentially where they are going to matriculate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, housing is probably one of the things to very closely turn your attention to because those forms are usually due, you know, really early and um, you want to make sure that you don't miss out on an opportunity to get either your first choice of housing or housing in general at some schools. It can be a challenge <laughs> if you if you miss that, right? Um, and actually, interestingly enough, some of the housing forms are going to have applications. You may have to write another essay. Any insight you could share about <laughs> that side of stuff? Yeah, I mean, it's usually fun stuff, you know, so I would generally say a student who has to do any more writing is because they might be applying for like a specialized housing opportunity, like a living learning community, especially Mm -hmm. at larger schools that they might offer that or, um, and so being able to demonstrate why they'd be a good candidate, you know, for that opportunity. So, so that can be really fun and and just sort of writing that generally um, flows. And I always say students are so in shape from essay writing, um, that it usually, you know, comes fairly easily, but Mm -hmm. absolutely trying to be preemptive, you know, and this is where parents can be especially helpful, but, you know, as your student, you know, might be trying to focus on AP exams is just being mindful of the deadlines that might come up, especially around housing. Right, right. I think that's good. We touched on a little bit of this, but shifting gears from the practical to the more emotional, um, what are some thoughts that you have around around that? Um, you know, this is a kind of tends to be a fairly emotional time for both parents and students. And you're right, it's the end of an era, right, of, of um, mm-hmm. you know, 12 years of schooling. And um, you're really, it's probably a good thing to be focusing on the end of one era before jumping too quickly into starting the next one. But what are some thoughts that you have? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I really, I just had such a lovely conversation actually with a student I'd worked with who is, uh, you know, just deposited at his, um, at his college and was talking about sort of just the transition he's gone through in high school and, 
um, how he's just really soaking up these last couple of weeks. And then he's sort of in, two, you know, two places at once on some level that he really feels that he's just enjoying senior year where he is. But he's also got sort of, you know, down the road thinking a little bit about the next phase and how excited he is for some of the people that he met at a recent admitted student open house. And I mm-hmm. thought, yeah, that's that's just a just a wonderful way, you know, to finish off senior year is, you know, not for not, you know, not everybody is, you know, sad (laughs) that they're going to be graduating, but, you know, overall seeing it as a a marking point and that it's good to end on a good note. And so, you know, even if high school hasn't been the greatest place, it's, you still have potential even to maybe forge even a new friendship and just be present where you are. And it might be just also a good time to practice some gratitude for, you know, maybe the teachers who've been present to your life or one in particular and just being present to, you know, those final events that are happening um, in senior year. Also noting that, you know, everybody is, uh, the seniors are mentors for younger grades and just being able to, you know, to show their maturity in before they take off from the school and, you know, leaving everything on a good note is a, is a great way to wrap up the year. Um, and, and then we can, I don't know if you want to talk about summertime and sort of shifting gears into the next place that they're thinking about. Yes, I would love to do that. Before we get to that, very quickly, if you have not told your recommendation writers and your guidance counselor where you're going to school, where you deposited, drop everything, pause this podcast and go do that immediately. They all want to know. Yeah. So don't leave yeah. them hanging. And, and, you know, in the interest of what Kara was just talking about, or Kara, what you were just talking about, as far as, um, you know, wrapping things up and, and turning your attention to your school and, and being an example and, um, and also just enjoying the end of your senior year. There are a lot of people involved in your process of getting accepted to college, and they are eagerly awaiting news of what you decided. And I am constantly amazed by how many students never close the loop. Um, And the Mm -hmm. message really that you're giving is, oh, I'm done with you now. I don't need you anymore. Mm -hmm. So therefore, I'm not communicating with you. So don't be that person. Be kindness matters. And this is a great example of that. But um, turning back towards what we were just talking about, um, you had mentioned the summer, um, kind of as you get into the summer. So what are some thoughts as that starts, as you do transition out of senior year and into the summer? Yeah, I mean, I think... One thing that I always recommended to my nieces and nephews before they headed off, you know, to college was, you know, to sort of unravel the, the, you know, where you were and sort of, you know, as you're creating a path to the next place and, you know, just being mindful that you're going to most likely go through the biggest transition, you know, unless you're someone whose family has moved quite a bit, like a military family or you know, ambassador family, you know, that mm-hmm. overall for many students, this will be the biggest transition they've had, especially if they're going to be residential students on a campus. And so, you know, it's, it is being present where you are in the summer, but little by little, especially as you get close to August, is trying to start, you know, being mindful of moving to the next phase and being ready to shift. And part of that is having just general discussion, you know, with parents about, transitions, especially if you're someone who you know, or if you're a parent listening, you know, if you know your child has always struggled with transitions, maybe between schools, between new teachers, 
you know, even if the babysitter's coming when they were younger, that some people just are naturally like that. Talking about the elephant in the room is a really, really good idea because it's mm-hmm. part of being able to, you know, make that actual um, transition so that it's not a surprise, pull the Band-Aid. Oh, wow, we're heading off to college because it does come very quickly. I think mm-hmm. that's the thing that's always surprising to students is that this is possibly the shortest summer most students will ever have in their college, you know, career or in their high school career for that matter, um, because college usually starts in the, you know, late August, middle of August, some places where a lot of high schools might have started later, especially in the Northeast. So um, talking about transitions, I think, is something just to, to give some thought to, and it's not necessarily right now, but certainly in the middle of the summer, um, what are examples of transitions that parents have have been through and that the student has been through at different times and how do they react and how do you prepare for that? You know, yeah. thinking ahead to what are, what do you do when you're scared? What do you do when you're lonely? You mm-hmm. know, and, um, and one of those pieces, and you and I have talked about this before is here we are in this age where you and I did not go to college with a phone, <laughs> you know, right. we had one in the, in the dorm room, which is, you know, a step ahead of our parents who probably had it down the hall or not even in the building. Um, and we're at this generation where a phone is tethered to students, which means they can be connected, you know, to yes. their friends constantly. So thinking about the role you want your phone and like your connection through social media um, with other friends to be is a really important part of the discussion. Yeah, and I would say even to parents to be thinking thinking about, um, you know, do part of transitioning off to college and living on your own is being a little bit more independent. And if you are in contact with your child five times a day via text, I mean, maybe mm-hmm. you don't want to change that, but I would suggest that you might at least take a, a look at it and say, maybe we could cut back to once a day or twice a day. Um, and sort of fostering that independence that is part of the goal of heading off to college. Kara, thank you so much for joining us today. I really appreciate it. And I think lots of really good stuff here. Um, uh, Thanks next for having week. me, Beth. Yeah, absolutely. And I want to thank all of my guests today. Um, Next week, Ian is hosting. Um, There are going to be lots of listener questions that we're going to answer. So if you have them, please send them in, gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Again, it's gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. So most of our show next week is going to be about listener questions, but we're also going to talk a little bit about environmental studies degrees. We have students who um, are showing an interest in that with um, the green movement and everything that's happening in the world today, and we wanted to talk about um, what opportunities might come from majoring in something like that. Um, You can always visit our archives, um, access our free blog, follow us on Facebook, and enter our contest if you just uh, deposited. And don't forget, we're here every Thursday, 4 p.m. Eastern and 1 p.m. Pacific. Thank you for tuning in to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. Hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. Please join us again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week.